Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Tomasi. Well, hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, developers, and of course, you curious individuals that I say with the utmost respect. Welcome to another episode of Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. In this episode, I am extremely happy to introduce you to ServiceNow Software Engineering Manager, Yaren Gez. How are you today, Yaren? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Is this your first podcast? Good question. Uh, Avid listener, first time recorder. (laughs) All right. I love introducing people to being guests and uh, maybe even starting their own podcast. Not that I have a vested interest in my other property that I do for fun, which we we won't promote here just for sake of conflict of interest. We won't promote it here. But uh, (laughs) welcome to Breakpoint. And before I begin, I always like to do this introduction. I get to know you section. Tell us about who Yaren is. Sure. Um, well, I've been at ServiceNow for just about three years. Um, I am a manager in platform engineering, uh, leading up the Playbook Experience team. And um, when I'm, before I switched into management, I was an engineer working on the Workspace project. Uh, before joining ServiceNow, a lot of years doing startups, um, which is a great mm. experience as well. Um, and when I'm not coding or leading a great team of coders, um, you can find me working in the garden, playing piano, writing songs, camping, hiking, the usual fun activities. <laughs> and every superhero has their origin story. So how did you get started with ServiceNow? Well, I had been doing years and years of startups and was getting really burnt out. (laughs) Um, And uh, one of the great lessons that I learned from doing startups is uh, how limiting, how much you need resources to really accomplish something big and make a big mark out there. And I had been wearing so many hats uh, between developing and uh, you know, accounting, HR, design, testing, and so forth, uh, sales, marketing. Uh, I really wanted to to come to a place where I could build the same sort of uh, functionality and, and and you know game changing platforms without having to focus on all those other things and having a great team behind me. Um, and so when I started looking at what was out there, and I actually saw a CreatorCon video. Um, hmm. of ServiceNow platform and my eyes lit up a platform that can do anything. Uh, that's exciting. <laughs> I want to work there, um, <laughs> which is great because they have a San Diego office, <laughs> which is where I live. Um, and yeah, I've been there, been here for three years and I love it. Happy to have you on board. I'm, I'm kind of surprised we haven't met before this because I, I do like to keep my fingers in the developer pie. You mentioned startups and you and I started at two different times in the ServiceNow life cycle. Uh, when I started, there were about 175 employees. And I still feel that that startup culture is very prevalent. I don't know. what's your. You've been in startups before. What What's your gauge or oh, your absolutely. feeling on that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it certainly helps that the stock price has gone up 4x since I joined. <laughs> that feels like a startup. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, the fact is ServiceNow is big, uh, you know, 11,000 employees or so, but um, Oracle is like 100,000 and Facebook's 50,000. Like the, the sky is the limit for when you get into the space of platforms and, and we are nowhere near a, um, a household name. Um, there's quite a lot of room to grow. Uh, and I am extremely privileged to have worked on new products since I got here. 
Um, when I got here, Agent Workspace was brand new. It felt like building a startup. We were building a brand new product. <laughs> um, when I uh, was made manager of the Playbook team, Playbook didn't exist. We got to build it from scratch the way that we wanted to build it. So it definitely has felt like a startup culture to me, just uh, without that worrying about paycheck. <laughs> All the benefits without any of the downsides. <laughs> insurance we're covered <laughs> yeah exactly i can go to the doctor anytime i want <laughs> hopefully it's anytime you need <laughs> yeah <laughs> and outside of work when you're not at work what do you enjoy doing um my number one passion in life outside of coding is music um i've been playing piano since i was six writing music since i was 12 i've been in a number of san diego bands and uh do a lot of just songwriting for fun and um, some recording here and there. Um, unless it's really nice outside, in which case I am out in the garden doing some camping, doing some hiking. Um, I also love cooking. I just, I don't sit still very well. <laughs> <laughs> Was music your choice or do you come from a musical family? I have to ask because my background is, my mom's side is totally musical. Uh, neither of my parents are musicians, but they, they both had my sister and I start piano lessons when we were six. And, um, uh, I remember, you know, a few years in, um, when I wanted to quit as most kids do a few years into music lessons, uh, and, uh, my mom wouldn't let me. <laughs> and I said, if you like piano so much, why don't you take lessons? And, and I'll never forget. She said, I always wanted to take piano lessons, but my mom couldn't afford it. And that like Jewish mother guilt <laughs> was, was enough to make me stick with it. <laughs> and I'm really appreciative of the fact I did because I, I love it more than anything these days. Do you have children of your own? I have a, a, a boy who's about to turn one. Are you going to? I, I assume you'll expose him to music and let him take his choice on whether he follows that path or not, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, he, he loves watching me play. My wife's oh, a musician, good. too. She plays guitar and sings and we play together a lot and he gets a kick out of it. So awesome. The, the seed is planted. That's yeah, cool. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Let's pivot into business mode. ServiceNow was originally built to be a process automation platform. So it may surprise some people that we still have new products coming out to make it easier to digitize those processes after all this time. I mean, we've been here for like 15, 16 years. So to some, it may feel a bit like, Adobe releasing a new tool with PDFs, like how many versions of Acrobat do we really need? It's like PDFs haven't changed that much, have they? But as developers, we know that requirements change and sometimes new tools are needed. So before we get into the cool new toys we introduced in Paris, let's take a developer approach to this discussion and set up the problem statement for us. What were the pain points that led us to introduce these new capabilities in Paris? Sure. Well, as most developers know, the, the kind of history of development is, is one of encapsulation and abstraction. Uh, we started with ones and zeros and moved into assembly. And then yeah, I, I learned on QBasic back in the day, uh, it used to take a very long time to build a website. And now we have platforms to make it easier and easier. So I don't see that trend ever stopping. We're always going to make it easier. Uh, just like GarageBand made it easier to be a re at home record producer. Um, since such uh, mm -hmm. products such as process automation designer will make it easier to be a process owner and build things without having to 
uh, know about the lower level intricacies of what's happening behind the scenes, especially if you think of ServiceNow itself as an operating system um, and handling the lower level driver type functionalities for you so you can just focus on building great applications. Uh, in terms of the specific problem statement for PrepPad, it really comes down to uh, the need for a developer to build cross-enterprise complicated workflows. Um, things are, are relatively simple when you want to create one process, uh, a, a request. Request comes in, it's usually some case task or something of that sort, kicks off some you know very fairly linear process about some child task that needs to be done in order to finish that. No big deal. It's not the greatest interface to have to jump between forms and lists, but it can still get your job done. Uh, things get more complicated and that starts branching off. And all of a sudden one process kicks off another, kicks off another, and it's very easy to lose track of where you are, both in terms of a filler working on that and having a million tabs open, but also in terms of a process owner and keeping track of all the business rules and all the flows and all the different client scripts and UI policies that might be at play. And we don't have one cohesive way to bring that all together where you can see across an enterprise, what are the different steps that are going on right now? Um, so that's what we're really trying to solve, especially when it comes to uh, processes that, as I mentioned, span across the enterprise. Maybe there are steps of that process that are for facilities to manage, setting up a desk, or for security to manage, setting up your accounts, and, and uh, any, any fund from uh, HR to set up your payroll. All these things can be brought into one onboarding playbook, for example. Um, where you can see lanes representing these different processes. Nice. Uh, before we get too far, I want to clear the air for our listeners. Some of them may be wondering, what's the relationship between flow designer and process automation designer? Great question. It comes up all the time. <laughs> uh, and that goes back to that uh, encapsulation abstraction note that I made before. Flow designer powers process automation designer. Uh, in process automation designer, your stages are represented as lanes, similar to a Kanban chart. And those lanes are broken up into cards, which are activities. Each of those are activities are in turn powered by a subflow, built in flow designer, or just an individual flow action. If you don't want to have more than one step in the, mm. in the activity, you can make a one-to-one -one relationship between a uh, an activity and the flow action itself. So the flow designer is powering that. But by when you create a subflow, you can choose what your inputs are. So you can choose precisely what you want to expose to the process owner. You can hide away all those complexities of what's going on in the flow and just define your inputs, define your outputs, uh, and allow the process owner to wire those up together without seeing what's going on beneath the surface. Another feature that PAD has that Flow Designer doesn't have is the ability to, to take out properties out of that flow as it's running in real time and expose them to the user interface through Playbook so that you can create these custom renders within Playbook to really give really in-depth uh, overview or representation of what the flow is doing at any point in time. Um, you can build wizards. You can have a form that continually changes based on inputs that the user provides. Uh, it really unlocks the opportunity for all kinds of very flexible user interfaces. Well, that's good. It means the developers still have a job making the <laughs> actions and flows. Are there any other personas involved in the, the pad playbook story? Yes, absolutely. So you have the developers, as you mentioned, they're creating the building blocks. They're uh, creating the subflows that power the activity definitions. They're creating the activity definitions that wrap those subflows. Now, at that point, 
their job is largely done. <laughs> they hand it over the fence to the process owner. The process owner is a uh, someone who is not a developer uh, and working in this uh, no-code environment to string together those different activity definitions across the lane, define the process. Um, at that point, the process is defined, the process can be running. You now have a, a playbook experience admin or a workspace admin or anyone who's dealing with uh, the user experience side of things, who's gonna go and configure the user interface around that. They're gonna configure the way that that's gonna be represented in a playbook form, uh, any different configurations, activity overrides, the way things are rendered, defining what that playbook experience is. Finally, uh, you have the agent or the fulfiller, and this is the person who is actually working in the playbook itself to do their job and to complete the tasks that are defined in the process. I know this is an audio-only podcast, so I think I'm going to get a t-shirt with this. No PowerPoints, no demos, no update sets. <laughs> Can you, you, you've mentioned some of these terms before. Can you paint us a picture of the different parts of a process flow in Process Automation Designer. You mentioned lanes, so I'm assuming that's the vertical pieces like in VTB. Mm -hmm. What else? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you close your eyes and picture a VTB board. <clears throat> Unless you're um, driving. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess VTB board is a bit redundant um, since the B is the board. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, your lanes here represent the stages of your process. So maybe you'll have things such as analysis, remediate, close, or maybe you'll have different parts of the organization, HR facilities, and so forth. Um, within each of these lanes, you'll have cards, again, going back to the visual task board representation. Those cards themselves have uh, labels, and those cards are called activities. Those activities are an instance of some activity definition, some unit of work um, that has been pre-built by a developer. So the process owner can drag and drop these cards across the lanes, wire them up together using pill pickers. If you've used Flow Designer before, you know what the pill pickers are. It allows you to uh, wire inputs of one into outputs of something else mm -hmm. or vice versa, <clears throat> uh, providing any other inputs that may be hard-coded text, for example, some description. Um, and all of this uh, has uh, when to start rules. So you can specify that lane should start immediately fire up as soon as that process gets triggered, uh, or you can configure them to run uh, after the previous lane finishes or with the previous lane if you want them to run in parallel. And that same level of configuration extends to the activities themselves. So you can have activities that run in parallel, activities that run in sequence or any combination thereof. Um, zooming out a little bit further, when you define that process, uh, you define a trigger. And this is just like every other trigger you've ever seen in, in ServiceNow from business rules to flow designer. You choose a table, you choose whether you want it to be fired when a record is created or whether a record is updated or both. And then you can optionally define some conditions that need to be met for that process to be fired off. You mentioned the, the lane starts and the activity starts. That almost aligns. Uh, the first thing that makes me think of is uh, Microsoft Project or any project planning thing. So as you build out a plan, you've got your start to finish, your start to start, finish to finish, whatever those combinations are. I haven't done, I haven't done project in a few years, you can tell. But that that seems to align very closely. You could you know, look at a plan and go, these three things need to start at the same time. So you can map that into pad quite easily. So I like that aspect of it. It's not just this linear one follows the next, follows the next, follows the next. Um, yeah, I think of PowerPoint animations as well. Yeah, it, very true. 
start on what after previous or with previous. Um, that when I was playing around with Process Automation Designer, I noticed that some of the activities when you were creating a new activity, which is very easy to do, they had these categories or labels like this one's tied to catalog, this one's tied to knowledge. What is the point of those? Sure. So because of flow that powers these activities can really do anything, it, it's effectively a black box. Uh, the process owner doesn't know what this flow is really doing. And from a user experience side on the on the playbook side of things, um, playbook doesn't really know what it's doing either. So we need some visual contract, some way to categorize these different activity definitions into categories that tell us how should we display this to the user. Uh, and so that's where you get into this concept of experience types. Um, there's an experience type called instructional, one called record, one called knowledge. They basically, when you choose an experience type for a given activity definition, it tells playbook or any other ui layer that's going to could render a process uh, what to expect if you choose instructional it knows that it can expect one instruction <laughs> some message mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you choose knowledge article you know it can expect the knowledge article if you choose record you know it can expect a record maybe a form uh, view maybe a list of fields to show maybe uh, an sla timer all these different things that you can have um, and when you have this experience type that you choose and exposes these experience properties, uh, some of the power of PAD is that you can now map those experience properties to anything within the flow. So that, that activity author, that developer can expose anything that's happening beneath the surface into these properties, and those can be rendered to the user in a meaningful way. Um, we Out of the box, we ship with a number of experience types. Um, and a few different activity renders, ways to render these experience types. But it's a platform, so you can create your own. If you don't like any of the experience types that we create, you can create your own, give it your own set of properties, and even create your own renderer if you want to have a, a real custom way of experiencing that. Wow, I did not realize Playbook was that configurable. And that totally makes sense now that that experience type, like you said, if it's an SLA, you could have a red, yellow, green bar on there just to say, your SLA is about to breach, you know, for example. I, that's, that's cool. I thought it was just this nice checklist of where am I? <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's very extensible. If you, you can yeah. create a, a custom notification render, you can create a custom render for like DocuSign for signing some uh, contract or anything like that. Uh, the sky is the limit. Cool. Oh man, now, now I want to go play with the renderers. <laughs> is it is it possible to do some simple condition checking and looping in Process Automation Designer? Like if we have if somebody rejects an approval and you got to go do it again later after the record's been updated, is is that something that can handle within that, or would you go deeper and do that at the flow level and then just bring that up to pad? Generally speaking, you do that at the flow level today. Okay. Uh, now, we do have uh, conditions uh, to run on it at the activity level. So you can use the outputs of one activity to decide whether another activity should run. And if those conditions are not satisfied, we actually don't show that activity at all within mm. Playbook. So a common scenario is if you have five activities in a lane and uh, four of those activities depend on the outputs of the first activity. When an agent actually opens the playbook, they only see the first activity. And until they complete that activity, fill in some form, answer some questions, click some buttons, uh, the other four don't show up. And then when they do that, maybe one of those other four show up or two of those other four show up. So you do have that dynamic level of functionality within pad. It's 
not quite looping them. If you need to have any sort of conditional loop, that's when you would encapsulate that logic and flow desire. You know, again, we don't want process owners to have to be developers. Um, and looping is can be kind of a complicated concept for a process owner to, to understand. So uh, the flow itself can have this wait for condition, can have a loop that goes to the top based off of some inputs. And you can have that exposed in playbook through a form. So you can imagine, for example, uh, a form being presented to the user in playbook. They put some information in, they click submit, the flow wakes up, based on information goes back to the top, maybe creates another record, updates the output, and now that form changes to show the new record and they complete that information and, and so on and so forth. Um, you can even tie this to decision tables and say, hey, based off of the inputs that they provide, look up in the decision table, what are the new questions I need to ask? Or what are the new records I need to update? Um, and, and wrap all that up in one activity definition. Um, I'm thinking of all kinds of new possibilities and use cases where that would be helpful. That's pretty great. That's cool. I know we covered a lot about playbook and its configurability, the extensibility, the renderers, anything we missed on that front that you'd like to include. Uh, sure. On the playbook side of things, one of the other really powerful features are, are declarative actions. Um, we say that a playbook is a two-way representation of a process. Uh, one way is relatively straightforward. We've talked about that. These experience properties expose inputs or expose data from a subflow, rendering something meaningful to the user. But we need to go in the opposite direction as well. We need the user to be able to pro provide input that then gets consumed by a uh, the flow underneath the hood. Uh, sometimes it's filling in a form. Sometimes it's clicking on a button. Sometimes it's a drop-down item. So for that, we leverage a, a really powerful platform feature called declarative actions. If you've used UI actions, they're very similar, but they have a lot more functionality. Not only can they run service script, they can dispatch client actions within workspace. So you can do things such as opening up a record in a new tab. And they can also return custom components to, for example, show an activity stream in a modal when you click an operation. Hmm. Um, so all the inputs that a playbook exposes can be used as conditions into this declarative action. So you can have a button that shows up uh, when something is in progress that says mark complete. And then once it's complete, you can have another button that shows up that says restart or you know re-edit or something of that sort. Uh, and these can be rendered as buttons in the bottom of the card. They can be rendered as drop-down menus in the top right of the card or clickable icons in the top of the card as well. All of these are very configurable. Um, they can do a lot of different functionality. And, and that's what really allows you to build this two-way communication between what the playbook is doing and what the process automation designer is doing. I love you and I hate you at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I love you because you're making all this stuff that is going to make, make it such a cool experience and so easy for the process owners to build out these playbooks or excuse me. The, Stop the, right the, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The hate part is now I got to go learn all this stuff. You've changed my world again. You moved my cheese. <laughs> well, everything you know and love will still continue to work, but now there's this a, a whole new uh, set of fun features that you can play with. There's a new frontier. Awesome. We get to go <laughs> and as developers, we love doing that. You know, that, that, that's that. That's the dichotomy of being a developer, right? If, if you don't go explore the new stuff, you're going to be obsolete pretty soon. 
<laughs> right, right. Now, out of the box, you know, we actually we don't provide too many out of the box activity definitions because we don't want this to be a generic one size fits all for yep. any process owner. A uh, flow designer is that generic one size fits all solution. This is meant to be really solving specific business use cases. So, a process owner going through a list of activity definitions can see an activity definition such as uh, collect customer information as opposed to a generic embed a user form. Um, so most of the uh, reusable activity definitions are going to come from our existing product line. Uh, CSM has a whole suite of activity definitions and reusable processes, ITSM as well. Um, if you want to create your own, uh, then uh, to work on platform tables, you just need to have an app engine license. Oh, that's a good point because when you first, if you're going to your PDI, for example, and you turn on the process automation designer and playbook plugins, you're going to notice that the table selection does not include your custom table. So you need that one that says App Engine or AES is is in there somewhere too. So turn that one on. on but recognize if you do that in your organization, uh, you will start to cross that threshold of licensing. So talk to your account team if you've got any licensing questions. That's all I'm going to do is throw that statement out there. All right. Hashtag safe harbor. Hashtag safe harbor. Hashtag safe harbor. <laughs> that means we're going to be talking. You know, I need some sort of alert mechanism, you know, like a klaxon that does that for me. Uh, we are going to be talking a little bit about things that are on the roadmap. So if it doesn't come true, you can't sue Yarn. You can't sue me or ServiceNow. We're just looking down that roadmap because we got this question a couple of times in the TechNow episode that aired a little while ago. What's on the roadmap? For process automation designer, I, I'm just going to stop saying that and call it pad now. For pad and playbook. Oh, quite a bit, quite a bit. Um, you know, in process automation designer, we are adding lane conditions uh, as well as uh, activity conditions. So we already have activity conditions, but we're extending it to lane conditions. So you can have lanes that will only fire when certain conditions are met and won't show up in the meantime. Uh, a whole new UI uh, for when you configure an individual activity. So it's not just a, a modal with a legacy forms and lists, but it will be a, a more modern experience. Uh, adding the ability to do ad hoc activities. So based off of, uh, actions that a fulfiller takes when going through a playbook and actually add steps to a process in real time. Uh, on the playbook side of things, we have a really fresh, wonderful interface on the way for Quebec uh, to uh, replace the somewhat cluttered interface you might see in Paris. Um, we have the ability to uh, do what we call activity state mapping on the way. Um, what you'll see in Paris is that the status that you see on a playbook card is directly correlated one-to-one -one with what the state of the flow is. Okay. The flow hasn't started yet, it's pending. If the flow is running, it's in progress. If the flow is complete, it's completed. Um, we know that with complicated business processes, a lot of times that one-to-one -one relationship breaks down and you have some process where just because the flow is running, the step might already be complete or maybe the step was skipped. So the ability to map that to any arbitrary record. Um, we have coming the ability to cancel a process that's already in flight. The ability to manually trigger a process rather than wait for some trigger condition to be met. Uh, the ability to uh, be in a playbook and view multiple processes running on the same parent record. Uh, and uh, many, many more exciting features. Uh, we're investing really heavily in this product line. It's going to just keep on getting better. I'm, I'm really excited about what's coming down the line in Quebec and beyond. I can tell. This is your baby. I'm just curious to see what the customers are going to build. That's always the fun part when you when you have yeah. a platform and you give them a, a box of Lego bricks. Some people build 
you know, a truck. Some people build a stadium. So you, know, you get different things from different requirements. It's fun to watch. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, being on the platform team, we have that relationship with our app teams, uh, you know, working with CSM and ITSM to produce their playbooks and seeing the ways that they leverage what we've uh, created um, and, and beyond is really great. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that is that we can dive deeper into at the moment. Well, you but, did bring um, up another question mentioning the other teams. How much of that is two-way? I mean, you're not just out there going, I think we should get a new process designer because flow is, mm-hmm. is it, how much are they feeding you requirements to say, well, if we're going to be doing a new process engine and a new way to expose that and visualize that, here's what we would like to see from CSM. Here's what ITSM is. Is, is that, how often do you do you do those collaboration things to get requirements from them? Are they is is it the tail wagging the dog or, or which way are we going? Uh, they drive the majority of our requirements actually. So okay. uh, at the beginning of the release during the planning period, we meet with them on a regular basis and we get all the things that they wish it could do. And we put them together in a list. We find out how many of those are shared across different teams, different business units that want those features, how badly they want them. We weight them. We scope them out, how much work they are. We prioritize them against our own uh, plans for what we want to do. Uh, One of the biggest things that we really want to focus on internally is to improve the admin experience. Um, Today, it is a really powerful product, but it is fairly complicated to set up um, because it can do anything and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, The developer side of things, creating these reusable activity definitions and mapping them to playbook properties, configuring your playbook properties, your, your declarative actions, your status mappings, you have to jump through a lot of different tables. Um, and it, it, there is a bit of a learning curve. Once you get past that learning curve, you love it. Everyone loves it. <laughs> but there is definitely some frustration when it starts. So we are really incentivized to make that experience easier. Um, that's part of our own internal roadmap. But we do weigh that against what all the different app teams want as well. And every few months, another app team will come to us and say, hey, we've heard about Playbook. We think it would be a great user experience for our product as well but here's what we needed to have. So they are definitely the driving force for what features we work on. And that is just part of your job in two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Life of a product manager, people. (laughs) You know what? You gotta, you gotta keep an eye on what your customer needs are always. And that those customers yeah, may be internal as well as external. So it'll be curious to see now that it's product managers on our team. Now that it's out, I, I'm I'm curious to see what the customer feedback will will contribute to driving that forward as well. So that brings us to the end. It has been a fast half hour. Thank you very much for joining us, Yaren. And uh, where can people find you? So if they want to get in touch or they have ideas or questions. Sure, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm only one of two your own gezes on the planet that I'm aware of. <laughs> I'm the one that works at ServiceNow. That <laughs> and, makes it uh, easy. I was going to say something about the beard or whatever. <laughs> that might not always be the case. <laughs> um, and the other one is also a, a software engineer, which is pretty funny. Though. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> um, and uh, you can also email me your own dot at servicenow.com. But uh, with great power comes great responsibility. So no spam. So Y-A-R-O-N dot G-U-E-Z, correct? Yes, that is correct. At servicenow.com. Excellent. Thank you very much. And again, thank you so much for you, dear listener, for downloading, listening, subscribing to the podcast. Hope you have a wonderful day. Stay safe out there and take care. We'll talk to you again real soon. Please let us know what you think about this podcast. You can leave feedback 
or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more great information on ServiceNow development, check out the ServiceNow developer portal at developer.servicenow.com. Thanks for listening.